Weak Points Film Club. This year it's 1972. Welcome to the Weak Points Film Club with Rich and Nick. Each week we'll pick a film from a specific year and give them our review. If you've listened to the main Weak Points podcast, you'll know we started in 1970, and this year it's the turn of 1973. And Nick, you chose a very lauded cult film for me to watch. I did, yes. Um, I had no idea about this movie. I remember it being mentioned on Nationwide. Prior to the 6 o'clock news on BBC One, there was Nationwide, the old magazine programme with Frank Boff, uh, talking about video nasties. Uh, And video nasties were such as um, I Spit on Your Grave, Driller Mm -hmm. Killer, and this one. Yes. Last house yeah. on the left. Wes Craven's again. I might be. I might be wrong in this. Was it his first movie? Yeah, I think it, it was his was first. Yeah, Wes Craven's uh, a, a film revered by uh, such luminaries as Quentin Tarantino, uh, and uh, cited as a real turning point. I think in horror, uh, moving away from creatures and monsters to more contemporary mm. themes. Um, but I picked it for you because I, I thought mistakenly that it was going to be um, well I'll tell you what rather than saying what I was mistaken about mm. let's get into it yeah no I, I, I was looking forward to watching it actually because I remember it being one of the original kind of noted video nasties um, so and I've seen lots of not reviews of it, but I've uh, I've seen lots of people talking about it and saying, you know, what an influence it was on other um, work that came after it. So I was thinking, oh no, this this should be quite good. And Wes Craven, I thought, oh, I can't, can't go that far wrong. Um, how wrong, how wrong I was. Mm. I absolutely fucking hated this film. <laughs> every, pretty much every single second of this film. It's, it's a, story about um, uh, two teenage girls one of them it's um, their birthday I think they're going to go to a a gig in the city Um, so they come from uh, like quite a rural area one of the girls is a bit of a wild child and the other one's very much like mum and dad's golden girl and the family Uh, don't approve of the wild child do they no, they don't. No, and there's a really fucking uncomfortable scene right at the start where Ugh. the um, the daughter. Well, I think the daughter's in the shower right at the start yes, of the indeed. scene, it and says then she she's comes going to be downstairs. Seventeen years old, and there she is in the shower. She's in the shower. Yeah. Uh, so then she comes downstairs, and then she's wearing like jeans and like a um, like a skinny rib top thing. And then there's a really uncomfortable conversation with her and her dad about how she's not wearing a bra. And he's going on about how you can see her nipples and stuff. It's just so odd, isn't it? And she's like, oh, dad, nobody wears bras anymore. Nobody cares about seeing your tits. And he's going, tits, tits. What kind of word is that? And she says, I feel like I'm back in the barrack room, doesn't he? Yeah. And she goes, oh, well, mammary glands then. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I was thinking, oh, fucking hell. Is, this is not the start that I was expecting. <laughs> um, and the the mother's there all the time. And she's just like, oh, you two. As if, like, yeah. oh, you're always talking about uh, Absolutely, tits. yeah. <laughs> it's a common occurrence. She didn't look appalled or anything. She looked less appalled than I was at home. 
about a film from 1970 fucking two. So um, they go to, into the city to these um, to see a band called Bloodlust. That's right, Bloodlust. Yeah, um, and they uh, while they're in the city, they're like, "Oh, let's go crazy and let's see if we can buy some weed." Um, so they're walking past this house, and there's a um, a geeky looking guy stood outside uh, a house on the steps, and they say like, "Oh, have you got any weed?" And he's like, mm, "No." And then all of a sudden, he thinks, "Oh, well, yeah, um, I would like to sell you some weed. Why don't you come upstairs with me?" And obviously, they just do. Uh, and as it turns out, he's taken him into a room where some escaped, uh, recently escaped from prison psychopaths are, yeah, and no. they're just like kicking around their apartment, aren't they? Now, we've, yeah, we've heard, we've heard a little mention of that on the radio, haven't we? A little bit of oh, foreshadowing, yeah. that, that old cliche, which maybe wasn't a cliche in 1972. Actually, no, it was. It definitely Probably was. was yeah. They had that kind of thing in Beaverman from the 50s onwards. Uh, we're just breaking news about these uh, escaped convicts who, and we've already seen them because it's mentioned that uh, one of them has got his, was he called Klug or Krug or something, as... as um, Krug, yeah. yeah, as as uh, uh, addicted his son to heroin just to keep him under control. Uh, so uh, yeah. yeah, and then we see them in the apartment, don't we? And, and uh, they have a yeah. an accomplice, a female accomplice. There's these two guys, a female accomplice, and they're saying she says, "I don't, I want some company. I, we need to even the numbers up. It's women's lib, man." Uh, so the uh, the young lad, Junior, uh, the heroin addicted gonk. He's sent out uh, to look for two women to to even the numbers up, uh, and just as it you know it so happens, uh, along come our two uh, protagonists. Well, he he must have almost instantly forgotten that because when they first woke up and said, "Have you got any weed?" He's just like, "No," and then he goes, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah no, I have, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, you need to come upstairs." And then they um, lock him in in this flat, and then the wild child realises what's going on and she's like oh shit um, and then she gets sexually abused basically yes, doesn't she, does. she? The, the wild child yes she does um, they this goes on for quite a while yeah I've, I've forgotten the bit where I am right at the very start and it's such an odd odd well there's lots of really odd moments in this film but do you remember the um they're like the postman who oh, turns yeah. up outside their house right at the very start and he's delivering her birthday cards. Uh-huh. And he pulls up at the mailbox at the end of their road and goes, oh, um, lots of cards for Susan or whatever she's called. Um, she's the prettiest girl in town. Yeah, yeah. What a, what, what a popular girl. And then a fucking dog runs up. And the dog's in the car with him, and he's talking to the dog. Yeah, he is. And it's just so odd, yeah. isn't it? It gives you a really... Well, like you said before, when we talked about, um, uh, well, both Four Flies on Blue uh, on Grey Velvet and Octoman from 1971, tonally, it, it just doesn't decide what it is at the beginning. It's No. Or, or all the way through. Or all the way through, what that it is. is true. Um. So anyway, they've they've abused these these poor girls. And while all this is going on, the parents are now worried about them not coming back because they're late. And so they um, call up the local policeman. And this is where we're introduced to the local constabulary, who consists of 
it's just two people. Um, there's an old guy who looks a little bit like Sergeant Bilko. Um, <laughs> then there's um, a, a younger guy who's supposed to be like the young hapless oaf, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And they basically come around and say, "Well, we can't do anything. They're probably just out having fun. It's fine." Yeah. Um, meanwhile, obviously, the uh, they're still with these psychopaths. Um, and so in the, I don't think anything happens until the morning when the psychopath then bundled the girls into the back of the car. That's right, into the boot of the car. And, yeah, and then they're taken for a drive. And they just happen to end up driving near the house where the girl lives. Yes. But then the car breaks down. <clears throat> Um, the car breaks down and so they take the two girls out of the boot of the car and they take them off into the woods for whatever reasons. Um, oh, we should say that the psychopath. So there's Krug, who's the kind of lead psychopath. There's Weasel, who's... Um, I think it's insinuated that he's a bit of a sex person, molester, <laughs> sex person. murderer, <laughs> paedophile. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. A do-anything-to-anything not... kind of a dude. That's the one, yeah. yeah. So that's Weasel. And then... Um, Junior. There's Junior, obviously, who's who's just really there as a foil for Krug, isn't he? Because he's just yeah. drug-addled all the time. He also shows the human... Well, as, in as much as you can do, he shows the human side of them, doesn't he? Because he is occasionally morally conflicted by what's... By what's um, yeah, he's pass. got intermittent empathy... Yes. But it is very intermittent, isn't yes. it? Yes, very much so. Uh, out of all the actors in this film, he is the worst. Without I a think, doubt. By, Without a by doubt, far. Yeah. Fucking awful. <laughs> He's got nothing to do and he does it badly. <laughs> um, and then there's um, Sadie, um, who's the um, kind of punky, wild child. Yeah. Psycho woman. Yes. In it. Um, so they take these these girls off into the woods, and leave their car there with the with the boot open, and then these police guys come out of the drive where they've just been to see the mum and dad, and they see this car there, and they go, oh, that's an odd, an odd thing to see a car in the middle of nowhere, and then they just go, oh, that's probably nothing, and then just drive off. Yep. <laughs> Don't, don't, don't look inside it. They don't look through the window. They don't look inside the boot. They just go. They probably just run out of. Run out of petrol. I mean, yeah. I don't know why the boot would be open if they have run out of petrol. That's not where you keep your petrol, is it? No. When you have run out, that's not what you do, is it? You don't go, well, I better just leave the boot open and walk <laughs> off. <laughs> Fucking mental. Yeah. Um. So, then as preposterous as this film is, and as horrible as it's been so far, it just gets a lot worse when yes, they does. take these two girls into the forest because then it just turns into... Um, just sadistic sexual torture yeah. of the two girls. I'm not going to go into the details about it, but no, it's, it's like a this, salacious, pernicious. It's, it's just awful. It is really just awful. Yeah, and yeah. it's not done in um, it's not done in a way where you you come away from it thinking, God, isn't isn't rape terrible? 
I came away from it thinking, isn't that portrayal of it awful? Yeah. Because it, it just handled it so badly, didn't it? Yeah. It, it, it not did. in a, not in a, not in, not, I didn't feel like it was in a, a salacious way in terms of they were glamorizing it because there was nothing glamorous about no. it. But it didn't feel like at any point it was making a, a moral judgment on it was quite you know, the de- guy who's doing this. He's a bad person yeah, for doing it, this. It was quite dehumanized, I think. It yeah, did, it, there was no emotional investment because you didn't really no. believe in the characters, um, which isn't to say you wouldn't sympathize with the plight, but at the same time, it, it was just. This is our bad thing. We have no understanding of it, but we're still going to show it because we've got the budget to show it. So here it is. Here is some raping going on. It was horrible. It was distasteful. I, f- I found it. Yeah. I, I just, I, yeah. I mean, uh, uh. and it felt like um, that the the rape element of it, the sexual element of it, was almost like an afterthought when the real bit was. Let's just be unnecessarily cruel let's just show somebody being unnecessarily cruel to two people yeah because there was a lot of like things with a knife and stuff like that and all that kind of thing um because you never got the feeling from these characters that their primary driver before this was i really want to have sex with somebody or i really want to have power over somebody through sex it was just all of a sudden that's what happened. Yeah. It was a really odd introduction of it. The context of it was just fucked. It was just completely yeah. off skew. Didn't yeah, make yeah. any sense whatsoever. And it was Agreed. really jarring. <laughs> I suppose, in a way, in terms of portraying the like, psychopathy of somebody, in that it is an element of lack of empathy and something that you can't understand, I suppose on that level it, it kind of worked. But... The, the the characters were handled were so handled so badly that you never got that feeling about them in the first place. No, because they were kind of passionate about some things, just odd things, just really weird things. Um, but that, that that whole scene and that that goes on for oh, see, it felt like it went on for about forty minutes. That whole thing in the wood with them. Um, and I was just waiting for it to end. I was thinking, surely they're going to move on from this. I kept looking at the time on the film and thinking, is this? Are they going to run with this up until like the last five minutes or something? Um, so then we leave. We leave them doing this. Um, and do we go to the? Do we go back to the police? I think well, we should. The police there's a, just. There's a isn't the police shot. just sitting in the in the police station where? They all of a sudden hear over the radio that these psychopaths have escaped, and then it says, "Oh, and they've escaped in like a, a dark blue Ford Lincoln, and they're heading down mm. this particular road." And then they're like, "What? That's the car that we saw at the end of that road." Yeah, with the boat up. There are occasional shots of the parents in the house, uh, mm. but then again, there's, there's no. I, I I don't know what I don't know how to describe the. The lack of emotional understanding by it, it, on the on the, yeah. uh, on the part of the the actors, uh, the writer, director, a- anybody has. There's no no no. There's no no emotional understanding of, of the situation. The the, the the parents in no way portray that they're worried, sick about their daughter not being back, or yeah. or like overtly concerned. They are. They're just sound of say that they're concerned but you don't really see it yeah. in their performance 
So then the two police guys are like, oh, fuck, we better get it back to that car that we completely ignored before. Uh, and they're driving down the road. And, oh, God, I, I, t- I can't believe I've actually missed this out. The choice of music throughout this film yeah. is the worst choice of music I've seen in any film. Yes. Um, it's It relates in no way. <laughs> not, like, not even in like an ironic way. It's yeah. not, there's no hidden message to what no, it is. It doesn't it's just really... Yeah, absolutely. No, it's just really fucking badly chosen. Yes. It's really badly chosen. It's like they've got the soundtrack on shuffle. And so you've got um you've got awful torture <laughs> scenes where there's kind of like this cheerful plinky plonky hillbilly music yeah, that yeah. comes in. Like properly cheerful. Quite upbeat, quite quick, and there's these awful torture scenes going on. Then after one of the girls is raped, it's like a gentle fucking ballad that's playing yeah. while she's just laying there on the floor. It's just awful. Mm. Really, really awful. Um, it, it does feel like the kind of music that a psychopath would pick for all those scenes because they would have no idea about what the emotion was supposed <laughs> to be behind what they were what they were looking at. Yeah. Um, so these these police guys uh, try to get back to um, the thing, the, and the police car runs out of petrol. Um, yes, so does. instead of instead of radioing for somebody, they just go, oh, "We're, we're going to have to walk then," and then hitch a lift to the yeah. house. So they try a couple of times to hitch a lift, and then the cars just drive past them. And then one of the a truck comes along and it pulls up to give them a lift, and it's driven by um, a, an older black lady uh, who I think is supposed to be a known person but I didn't I didn't know no. I didn't know her um, she's only got like two teeth yeah it's, it's very poor she's, dentistry she's, she's driving a truck that's um, absolutely overloaded with small cages of chickens <laughs> I just, I'm just like what on earth is going on with this scene so then they try and ask her to give him a lift and she said well no because I've got my chickens to take yeah. um, so he's like well take some chickens off and she said well do you know how much chicken <laughs> do you know how much chickens cost and I'm thinking you know, how long is this conversation going on for they try and play it off as like a bit of comedy a bit of light eyed comedy she's a funny woman and they're funny policemen and all the while they're trying to get to a scene where somebody's being tortured and raped yeah. but no let's just have a bit of a funny moment um so she says, I'm not getting rid of my chickens just so you can get in. So the girl, we're just going to have to sit on the roof of the truck then. So they get on the roof of the truck and then she pulls away and then the truck stops and they go flying over the front and there's like a bit more comedy music. <laughs> yeah, it's like a piano. And then he dusts, the, the police chief dusts off his like his hat and he's like, going, oh, like why I order? Yeah. And um, she just goes, oh, it's too heavy. You're too, you two being on here is too heavy for my truck. This goes on for fucking ages, isn't it? It's just ridiculous. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, anyway, we skip forward. Um, the um, awful psychopaths uh, have done terrible things to these two girls and they're now both dead. 
won't go into why, but they just are. So then they, they go trapsing through the forest and then they come to this house. No, they get changed. They get changed into different clothes yeah, with the clothes got, that are in their car. Yeah, as, as, escaped, as escaped mental patients and psychopaths, uh, yeah. you, you always come equipped with a change of clothes, don't you? Of course you do, yeah. No. Yeah. And they they are obviously very worried about um, their appearance and, and making sure that they always look their best. That's yeah. why they're always in T-shirts and vest tops. Yes, that's right. So they get changed into these... like They're all in suits, aren't they? Like they're going to yeah. Sunday church. Yeah. And then they walk down this drive and they see the house and they're like, oh, we'll try and see if we can get in there. And So they, they go there and it's, uh, it's the house from this girl and... So the 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 mother and father, they're like, oh right, oh you've oh you've you've broken down, you can't get anywhere. Why don't you come in here and stay the night? I mean, <laughs> why would they do that? Yeah, and the, again, we have to place this in context. This these are parents who are less than twenty four hours ago they were saying goodbye to their daughter for uh, you know a concert. They've not come back. Uh, yeah. and, and and yet suddenly they're making spaghetti and meatballs for a bunch of fucking strangers uh, yeah. on what was supposed to be their daughter's birthday party night. Yeah. And they're asking like questions like, Oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, how how have you been? And um I've made up the two rooms upstairs, so yeah. you'll just have to decide who's going in what room and all this kind of stuff. Like, what the fuck? None of yeah. this makes any sense at all. <laughs> Um, then the um, the drug addled one junior, um, he's suffering from withdrawal symptoms because he hasn't been able to have his drugs, and he starts talking about um, uh, while he's going through his cold turkey about how they've killed these these girls and all this kind of stuff. And the mother overhears it, and she goes to see him in the bathroom, and um, he's lying on the floor, and she sees that he's wearing a necklace that um, they gave to their daughter for her birthday. And, and so she's, she's given like, it to him, hasn't she, as, as a way of saying, yes. please help us, please help us, we to can be friends. Yeah. She's trying to buy her freedom and it doesn't work. Um, so then she's like, oh my God. Uh, and then she goes off and sneaks into their room and finds out that they've got like loads of blood-stained clothes and she thinks, oh, they've killed them. They've killed them both. So she says that to her husband. Um, so Who's then, a doctor. Isn't he? He was a do- he was a doctor. So then the rest of the film is them, the mother and the father, basically picking off the psychopaths in different ways. She texts the the pedo pervert outside and pretends that um, she really fancies him and she wants a shag and her husband doesn't understand her. And then she bites his dick off. <laughs> Wait, before outside. that, before that, before that. The father spends five minutes turning the film into a really weird, gruesome pre-Home Alone type thing by putting little traps on Oh, yes, he does, yeah. Yeah, he smears, like, shaving foam on the door outside their bedroom and puts, like, a wire across the floor so that they'll trip up and all this kind of stuff. It's just awful. Yeah. Um, There's a scene where, before all that, there's a scene where, for some reason, the... um, pedo sex guy he's asleep and he has a dream that the dad is a dentist and that he's got his mouth open and and he puts a chisel against his teeth and then smacks him out with a hammer yeah and then he wait and then he wakes up and goes downstairs and that's when he meets the mother who then goes oh yeah no i'd really like to shag you let's go outside yeah and so they go outside and then she starts sucking him off and then she bites his dick off 
Yeah, but she takes oh. him outside because they found their daughter's body in the lake oh. and they've <laughs> yeah. brought it in and just popped it on the sofa. Yes, they did, yeah. Sorry, uh, yeah, I forgot that, yeah. And so yeah. yeah, she doesn't want she doesn't want them to see that they found the yeah. body. So that's why she says, Oh, come outside, I I, I fancy you and let yeah. yeah let let me um let me do that. Um, I can't remember what happens, but they stab they stab the um, the psycho woman, and she ends up in a swimming pool dead. Yeah, um, that's the wife does that. She fights her. I think that's right. Yeah, fight. yeah, yeah. And then the dad has a face off with um, Junior and Krug, um, and for, and um, so they have all these capers with the slippy floor and the wire and all that bollocks. Yeah. Um, and then oh, they're in a difficult situation because. Um, uh, is this? Does he get the chainsaw before Junior's got the gun? Uh, no, I don't think he no, does. No, I don't does think he? so. Um, there's a kind of face-off where there's a, a three-man kind of standoff with the dad and Krug and Junior, and Junior's got a gun, and he's um, uh, he stood there, and Krug's going, oh, "You don't want to kill me, and you don't want to kill him. You want to kill yourself. Uh, you." suicidal you want to just kill yourself why don't you just shoot yourself in the head and then he does he, <laughs> he, shoots, he just shoots himself yeah um, instead of him just persuading him to shoot the dad he, shoot, he says oh shoot yourself yeah that, absolutely that doesn't, make, that doesn't make any sense yeah none um, so that, anyway at some point the dad goes downstairs into the basement and Krug's chasing after him and the dad comes back upstairs with um, a chainsaw Yes. That he's waving it around. <laughs> he's revving it up and waving it around. Yeah. And Krug's trying to defend himself by like shoving a, ch- a wooden chair at him, which obviously it's doesn't have a lot terrible. of effect. It's yeah. And then they go into all this thing, and then by the time they're um, coming to blows, the policeman gets to the house with his accomplice, and they go in there and they see what's happening. And he goes, "Oh, like I don't know what the dad's name, John. Don't don't kill him." Uh, and then he kills him. Uh, yeah. He chain, chainsaws him, and there's blood everywhere. <sighs> I think that was pretty much it. I can't even that, remember what happened after that. That was it, wasn't that, it? I think that was it. I think again, it was one of those films that just ended and the credits rolled. Just fucking finished. Uh, the policeman left, the, uh, and, and that was yeah. It was. It was. I watched it as well, and uh, I, I have to. I have to completely agree uh, with with you, Rich, on that because I thought it was. Uh, appalling. I, th- I thought it was b- beyond uh, anything I- I'd expected, but in the other direction. I, th- I thought it might be a really good film, and it turned out to be absolutely terrible, irredeemably yeah. awful. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was t- technically it was it was badly made. There was some awful editing. There was some terrible yeah. camera work. Lots of shaky, shaky pans. Uh, lots of odd angles from when they were filming things, really badly chosen. Um, mm-hmm. The music, like I say, was just terrible all the way through. Um, the the pacing of it was fucked. It was just all weird. Yeah, yeah. But besides, but besides all that, I, I could have put up with all all of those things, and I've put up with all those things in different films. But the central thing about the, this film was that it was just m- so fucking mean-spirited. It was so coldly mean-spirited. It seems to take a real pleasure in how in the in the scenes in the wood, yeah, which just were just 
there were I mean we talked about being a video nasty they were just they were just nasty it was it, it, it was really was that's the and vile it was vile it was a terrible it's, it, yeah. yeah a really unpleasant cinematic experience um it, the, the like the the psychopath with the lead psychopath he was really very kind of nihilistic um even how she died in the end was just an odd an odd thing, wasn't it? Yeah, she died. Well, yeah. I, can say, I can say how she died. So she'd been through all this awful torture and rape, and then she found out that her friend was dead, and then um, she just walks off into a lake, almost as if to just kill herself, basically, because she just carries on walking. And as she's walking into it, he gets out a revolver and shoots her yeah. in the back. Yeah. Which seemingly yeah, just didn't seem for any reason. He just obviously just didn't want her yeah. to end her own life. He wanted to end it for her. Yeah, after it, all was, that. It, it was just dreadful. It was dreadful. Yeah. Um, um, so the the things that I've learned about the film after watching it, um, David A. Hess, who plays Krug, the lead psychopath. He was the one who wrote all the fucking awful music throughout it <laughs> because he was a mu- he was a musician before he was an actor, yeah. Um, and he just used to play things to Wes Craven while they were making the film, and then Wes would go, "Oh yeah, that's great. We'll just stick that in. Just write that, and we'll stick that in." They they seemed to think that um, they would break up the ho- the awful, horrible moments in the film with a bit of levity, so that they <laughs> it wouldn't bring the the cinema viewing audience down. But I mean, it was just so handled so awfully, wasn't it? Yes. Like yeah. it went just went straight from like sadistic, sexual, sado torture to like Benny Hill, <laughs> but like in one in one cut. Yeah. Um, and then back again. Yeah. Um. It was Wes Craven's first film. It was also his producer, Sean S. Cunningham's first film. Um, Sean S. Cunningham, who I, who I didn't know, but you, you knew, didn't you? He, he, was, um, he went on to make Friday the 13th later on. Um, yeah. the, the, the actual, during the actual filming of it, I watched a, an interview with David Hess, um, he's a particularly fucking unlikable person. He's not much more likable in real life than he is in is his character in the film. Well, fucking full of himself. Um, yeah. He sits during this interview playing his fucking guitar, playing this awful tawdry old shit that he wrote, as if it's like stairway to fucking heaven. <clears throat> and um, then he as, and then he goes on about how like. Oh, I came up with this song. I could just feel what the mood of this particular scene would be. So, I came up with this like this ballad, you know, for after she was, she was raped and, like the way he talks about the filming of the rape scenes is just really fucking distasteful. Yeah, horrible, horrible. Um, and it seems like in real life, Junior was such a horrible cunt on the actual film to um, Sandra Peabody, who plays uh, Mary, who is the lead. That yeah. she just basically just didn't want to act again. Yeah, I mean the whole thing is just awful. Everything about it, both on screen and off screen, it's yeah. fucking awful. There's no, there's nothing really that I could find in it where I thought, well, I suppose there is that. Didn't like every single bit of it. Just left a fucking nasty taste in my mouth. 
Yes, I, I, I agree. I agree. I, um, I, I, I had a similar taste. I don't know whether it was the same taste because we have different mouths. Maybe. But, uh, was yours was... like either sucking on a 2p coin or licking a battery? Yeah, either of those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that taste. Yeah, awful. <laughs> yeah. One, just one of the other things was just to show how what kind of technical knowledge that they had when they were making this film. Um, Fred Lincoln, who plays Weasel, um, the kind of sexual torture guy, um, he was formerly an adult film star. Well, formally and post this film, he was an adult film star and film di- adult film director and producer. Um, and he had to set up shots for Wes Craven because Wes Craven didn't know how to do it. So there was lots of scenes that he'd have to go, well, the camera's going to need to be here and then we're going to need to be here and you're going to need to have the lighting over here. I mean, that's how... God knows how they managed to get the money to do this in the first place. <laughs> Fucking clueless. Awful. Yeah. Fucking awful film. Last last week I said that Octoman was the worst <laughs> film that I'd sat all the way through. This is It made me... As I was watching this, I was praying to watch Octoman again, just to have like a refresher, just to, yeah. it's like, like it was almost like wanting a face wash or something to well, watch it is. Octoman I mean, again. Say, say what you like about Octoman, and you definitely did last week, but say what you like about it, but there wasn't the sort of uh, unpleasantness uh, that accompanied no. this film. There wasn't any of the, the cruel, but it, and it wasn't, it wasn't done in a way, you know, obviously it was done on a shoestring, but it wasn't done in a way that, you know, created this 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 worldview that, that was all pervading. Because like you said, the, the comedy moment with the chicken truck and the, and the, you know, and all that kind of thing meant yeah. that you had no, you, you were never fully invested in any part of the film. All you felt was somebody just wants to make this to shock you for no yeah. reason. Yeah, and it was yeah, it was just awful. The, like we, like I did, I did slag off Octoman last time, and I mean it, it is an, it is an awful film, <laughs> um, but um, the heart behind it was was there, yes. whereas this film felt like it was made about horrible bastards by horrible bastards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there and now I was just like, well, I'm out on this. I'm yeah. completely out on this because I don't. I don't know what my link is in this because no. the only people who I feel invested in are the ones that you're just torturing, yeah. like completely unnecessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Horrible. Very grim. Fuck, fucking shit film. Yeah. Balls to that. Right. So that's that one. Don't ever watch it. Nah. Just don't. Don't even bother. No. There's no. There's no nothing. You you won't get anything out of it apart from sadness. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway so hopefully your film which I chose for you was a little yes. bit more lighter than that even though I feel it was about mental illness um, I chose Asylum for you the most terrifying form of evil is that which lurks within the human mind <laughs> Asylum the ultimate in horror this is a Asylum of the incurably insane. Asylum filled with stark raving terror. 
Robert Block, author of Psycho. <laughs> Asylum. Prison of Madness, where few enter and none return. See, Asylum, you have nothing to lose but your mind. Yes, it With is. an all-star cast, a British uh, film. Uh, yes, a, a fantastic cast. Uh, Asylum, um, a 1972 film in the, very much in that kind of hammer sort of tradition, uh, or... Uh, Maybe. Did you? It was. Um, did you know the company? Like, as I thought, oh, when it first started up, I thought, oh, this has got Hammer written all over it. It was really in that style, wasn't it? But was it? But I think it was by Amicus. I think. Yeah, something said. like that. And yeah. and they they um, they seem to be well known for that kind of thing. And I must admit, I'd never heard of them before. No, me before either. I watched this. No, no, it was it it it, uh, it came out of nowhere. The the style of movie. Um, I, I believe it's known as the portmanteau. My dad always used to call them portmanteau films. Uh, a portmanteau is a, a big uh, trunk or case that contains other cases, uh, you know, for, for, for a gentleman who travels in wardrobe, within wardrobe. So, so the idea is it's a film with lots of little films inside, lots of little stories. So think Dead of Night, uh, Monster Club, uh, think Cat's Eyes, think Creep Show, that kind of thing. So you've got a few, mm. a few little stories. Uh, uh, triptych? No, no, that's just for no. Art, there's more than it? three in there in that. Yeah. Anyway, so, so it's that, but it's that kind of thing. Um, it starts with um, an, an old, I think it's an old style Jag, might be an E-type car, and being driven by mm. Robert Powell, Jesus of Nazareth himself, uh, towards uh, uh, an institution. Um, as Mazorgsky's Night on Bald Mountain plays. Oh, um, God, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, for me, I, I love that piece of music, but it's so overused. <laughs> of a cliche was that before this well, time yes exactly that it might have been one of those films oh we'll tell you what we can use we can use that beautiful bit of Mazorgsky because uh, it is a great piece of music yeah it's a great it is absolutely I thought oh great well a good start so so um, Jesus of Nazareth turns up uh, sorry Robert Powell uh, and he turns Robert up Powell, sorry Robert Powell who looks so much like kind of he- Heroin era David Bowie. <laughs> he does, but with just dark curly hair. But yes, he, he looks does. like he should be um, David Bowie's accountant. <laughs> David Bowie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he um, he turns up, uh, and he's and he's come for a job, and he's come to see uh, Doctor B Star. You don't know what his first name is, Doctor B Star, and that's important. You don't find out mm. his first name; you only know his initial. So he turns up. And um, uh, and he is taken through to an office uh, where a, a doctor uh, or, or a, a man in a wheelchair is currently residing. That chap tells Robert Powell uh, that he is not Doctor Star, a, a man who Robert Powell has never met. Uh, doctor Star 
is in fact now resident in one of the upstairs rooms. Yeah. Uh, the upstairs rooms where the, the, the more serious mental patients are. In fact, we don't get to see the rest of the asylum. And we only have it on faith that there are more than these four people in there. Yeah. Um, because they're the only people you see. I mean, it's a fairly big building, so you'd hope that it was chock full uh, of, of uh, well, you wouldn't hope because that's terrible. That's like wishing mental illness on people. But, you know, you, you, would, you would imagine that what the filmmakers were trying to suggest is that this is a big place, but on the upper floor is where the real asylum yeah. work goes on. And at the this real point, loony bins are. The real loony bins, yeah. And at this point, this is when the film turns from job interview into game show. Because the guy in the wheelchair says, now, here's the thing, Jesus of Nazareth. I'm, I'm not in the, you know, I don't have the authority to give you the job, but I will give you the job if you can go upstairs and guess which of the residents is Dr. Star. So how about that? You go up there and, and, and see if you can work it out. So yeah. anyway... Uh, up goes Robert Powell and he walks up the stairs and it's again it must be a good five not five a good minute and a half of him walking up the stairs with this music playing and cameras uh, you know um, pausing over these these hand drawn pictures of of <laughs> of torture being done to mental patients <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> if you could see what I'm seeing, Rich is pulling the faces of these men. It's it's like the the least likely thing you'd have on the wall at an asylum is what they put up there. <laughs> well, it's... not not only that, um, these pictures go. <laughs> Nick is right, but I I'm sure. I mean, it did feel like 15 minutes when it, it was goes on for ages. It goes he, on he, for ages, and the, and the music at this point is really fucking loud. Yeah, um, and he's walking up, and he he stops at every single picture up this staircase yeah. to look at these kind of yeah. awful pictures of madness yeah. that have been drawn on there. Honestly, it's like the storyboard artist said, "Hey, tell you what, I can do. I can do these as well." <laughs> yeah, and he does these horrible pictures of of. of of uh, you know people with mental problems being beaten, tortured, yeah. strapped up, racked, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and in every other way, uh, disgrace. <laughs> so, um, but Robert Powell looks at them all uh, like it's the, <laughs> like it's the fucking gallery with Tony Hart, and up he goes, and he gets to the top, and he's greeted by none other than Jeffrey Bailden, who uh, for people of our vintage played Cat Weasel, and then later also played the Crow Man from Wurzel Gummidge. A fairly sinister figure. Very. So, um, immediately, you're thinking to yourself, or I did, I, I think my, one of my notes, one of my first notes was, I don't know, I was, as Robert Powell walks up to the rooms upstairs, he passed some pictures on walls. I'm not convinced of the sort of things you hang on the walls of an institution nowadays. Macabre and sinister pencil drawings of mad people being treated dreadfully. So, yeah, here comes the crow man. So, I, so I thought, though, that um, because of the amount of time and music and focus that they put on him walking up the stairs really slowly and then looking at each picture in detail, yeah. I was thinking, I bet there's a clue in these pictures. Are we? But there's some kind of clue. Uh, uh, spoiler alert, there wasn't a clue in those absolutely, pictures. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, you're right, the music was going to... 
strident chords, heavy brass and strings. It was, it was quite remarkable. And obviously they'd gone... I, I have a feeling that when they came to put the soundtrack on, they'd watch the film back and go, this film is terrible. It's not frightening at all. Let's make the music really frightening. It's, it's really loud. Yeah. You know, so, it, so there's a lot of that. Anyway, they, they'd... They did. They bothered to do that with the music, but they didn't bother to think we could maybe just cut this to him just looking at one of the pictures and then skip forward. Yeah, no, let's yeah. do all like five of them. Yeah, you d- you didn't need a minute and a half on those pictures, did you? Not at all. <laughs> anyway, so the crow man answers the door, uh, and immediately, so the central conceit, the game show is, uh, guess which mental patient is Doctor Star, and you win your job. Yeah. And so, you know, Ed, and and the orderly who's been phoned, uh, you know, from downstairs is Jeffrey uh, Bailden. And I'm immediately suspicious of him because he's Jeffrey fucking Bailden. And he always plays a creepy weirdo. Um, the, the, um, when, um, before that, when Robert Powell's in the, in the office having his, his, his talk with the guy in the wheelchair, mm. um, so he says, you know, obviously, if you can find out which one of these people is the is the doctor, then I'll give you the job. So then he, Robert Powell leaves the room, and as soon as he leaves the room, then the guy in the wheelchair leans over and presses the intercom. Yeah, that's right. I can't remember what the guy's called. What is the guy the the upstairs assistant called? Oh, like Roger or something. I'll have to look it up. Now everything that everything that he says, he says twice. So he, like, say he's called Roger. So he presses the intercom button and he goes, Roger? Roger? And then the voice goes, yes, Doctor? And he says, Roger. <laughs> I've got Martin. Dr. Martin heading upstairs. And Roger? Roger? <laughs> yes, Doctor? There's something very important I have to tell you. He's it's like... Max. He's why called, the f- it was called Max. <laughs> why do you have to fucking say everything twice? Yeah. Oh God, it was so yeah. weird. Yeah, ridiculous. So yeah. So anyway, um, up goes Robert Powell, Doctor Martin. His name was Doctor Martin, the famous maker of boots. Yeah. Um, and he's greeted by Max, and and Max, hello, sir. Very softly spoken. Yeah. Oh, yes, we don't get many visitors here, sir. Uh, I'm not to give you any clues, sir. <laughs> I'm just to open the door for you, sir. Oh. Oh, it suits you. And here's your here's your first patient, sir. Um, patient for the weekend, is it, sir? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and and your first patient is called Bonnie. And Robert mm. Powell, Jesus of Nazareth, says, "Oh, B, ah, ah, could it be her? I can't yeah. say, sir. In you go." So he goes in to the to the first room. <laughs> Uh, and um, yeah, he's um, he's greeted with uh, Bonnie. Uh, she's in a story entitled "Frozen Fear." She's she's not she doesn't look at uh, at Robert Powell. She's staring out of a window she's, she, and kind of humming to herself. Anyway, we then go into the wibbly wobbly and we we turn up in the story. She's Bonnie is scheming with an older chap uh, uh, whose name is Walter. Um, you never see Bonnie's face, though, do you? She's you sat never with her see back Bonnie's to face. Her in the no. bed in the room. You never see Bonnie's face. Anyway, she's scheming with an old chap. This is in her early life. The reason she's in... All of the stories, basically, are origin stories for why they are in the asylum in the first place. So she's scheming with an older chap called Walter. Uh, he's got a nice landing cravats, but he's married. Uh, 
Um, but he and his wife hate each other. Um, and, and you don't really understand why, apart from, uh, you know, she's, he's on the phone with, with, with Bonnie saying, it's all planned, I'm doing it tonight. I'm coming away and, uh, and, and, and we'll, be, we'll be together tonight. Then his wife, Ruth, gets back and she's attending some kind of spiritual church run by a man called Professor Kalanga. And um, Walter, showing all the sens- racial sensitivity that 1972 could muster, says, back in Africa, he'd just be another witch doctor. <laughs> it should be said at this point that Walter is far too old for both his wife and his mistress. Absolutely. 100%, yes. Uh, I think, you know, he looks like their dad, doesn't he? He does. He looks, he looks like he was the guy playing the granddad in the Werther's Originals advert on the train. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, in this, he's apparently quite the stud muffin. Yeah. Uh, we also learn that he's not got any money. It's all her money. Um, and he sa- Walter goes on to say to his wife that it's a good job her father isn't alive to see her. He actually says another quote. Poor old boy had turned in his grave, taking voodoo lessons from a black charlatan. It's mumbo jumbo. <laughs> So of course he says it's mumbo jumbo. So so yeah. So yeah. we've got this we've got this racist uh, who's yeah. having an affair, yeah. um, and his wife knows about Bonnie, but she won't divorce him, and he's a kept man. Uh, though why she's keeping him is anyone's guess because he is like the fucking granddad. Maybe she's keeping him because she needs to you know tighten his trust from time to time, change his pissy bed sheets, and do all that kind of stuff. Who knows? But. She, they have a moment where they have a, a, an argument and then he says, and she says, I'll never divorce you. And you, you're, you're mine. You're mine. I'll never divorce you. And suddenly he says, very well, come and see what I bought you. And leads her down to the cellar. Um, and the other thing as well, she seems to suggest, that they're, remember, I've got all the money. The money's in my name. This house is in my name. So she seems yeah. to suggest that they're living off some kind of fortune. But they walk through this kitchen, which is like a bog-standard semi-detached house kitchen. Yeah. It's, it yeah. just looks like a normal house in the 70s. Anyway, he's got a big surprise for her. Come down into the cellar. I've got a big surprise. And the cellar, uh, in the cellar, the old romantic's only going to border a trunk freezer. Yeah. Because nothing says I love you like a large place to store your cold meats. It's- Big old fucking chest freezer, and um, but she's fucking delighted with it, isn't she? She's absolutely cock a hoop. You've you've never seen such joy, uh, unconfined. Yeah. Oh, this is wonderful, oh, Walter. Walter, that's wonderful. And then he says, "I've got another gift for you. This." And he swings yeah. an axe, and then then you don't see what happens if you don't see a chopper. I mean, but- before that, when when he first shows her the the freezer, she said. I've always been talking about wanting one of these. What kind of fucking conversations are there? I mean, if she's minted, why don't she just fucking buy one? Absolutely. Get it delivered. Put it in there. Yeah. Walter, yeah. you don't need to worry about buying me a trunk freezer. I've yeah. got one. In fact, yeah, I've got fucking I, two. Yeah. Cause, yeah. 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 In fact, I could fucking own Iceland, actually. Yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. I, I bought one just to put skateboards in it. I don't even ride yeah. a skateboard. I just bought a load of skateboards, <laughs> put them in a freezer. Fuck it. 1972, I do what I fucking like. I've minted me with my shit kitchen. Anyway, so Walter then chops up the body. Uh, you don't know how long it's taken him, uh, no. but he's clearly a, a dab hand at this because he's not sweated at all. He's in the no. same clothes, 
There's not a fucking speck of blood no, on him. That, now, now that is a line, it because he's took his cardigan off at this point. He has taken his he's cardigan kept his, off. He kept his cravat on, but he's the took his cardigan still on, off. But the card is off. That is true. <laughs> but he's not just he's not just done that. He's not just chopped her body up. He's chopped her body up and wrapped up every limb in paper. Yeah. Now, before he puts it in the trunk freezer, he decides to wrap it in that most water-resistant of materials, paper. Yeah. And yeah. he puts them in the brand new and otherwise empty trunk freezer, but arranges them so the body parts are still aligned anatomically. Yeah, I didn't understand that, because <laughs> <laughs> he does he does that whole thing with the brown paper and string for some reason. Yeah, and string, did they, not yeah. have, did they not have sellotape in the 70s? Yeah, possibly not. They fucking did, because I used it, and I was, <laughs> I was alive in the 70s. <laughs> so he, um, he does all that, and yeah, he gets her head last. Yes, he does. Uh, and it's only at that point that he's like, he gets a bit squeamish, isn't yes, it? When he's, he does. He's, so he's... he's He's bludgeoned her to death and he's chopped her body parts up. Yeah. He's f- f- somehow he's managed to get rid of all the bodily fluids from every yes, body part. Yes, he has. He's done very, very well. Wrapped it in each part in brown paper. But he's not just wrapped it. He's, he's like wrapped them, you know, like if you want to uh, wrap a Christmas present and hide the identity <laughs> of the Christmas present, you kind of make it vague shaped, like box shaped. No, yeah. he's wrapped a hand and he's individually yeah. wrapped the thumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, yes. Then, like you say, when he puts all the parts in the freezer and then he picks up the head last and he puts it in, I thought, fucking hell, he's just rearranged her in the freezer. <laughs> That's all he's done. Yeah, so anyway, he's uh, he's wrapped an arm and hand with them and he, he shuts the lid and what does he say? Rest in pieces. Yeah. But, um, you know, not content with, and still rattled after doing that, and not content with his Arnold Schwarzenegger-style quip, he goes upstairs and and decides to help himself to a large brandy. Before he's done that, though, Nick, you've missed off a very important part. Oh, what have I missed? Because she's got her um, bracelet from her witch doctor. Oh, yes, from the voodoo spiritualist. Even though he's just previously bludgeoned her to death and then chopped her body up into small pieces... Somehow, her bracelet has come off that she was given by this spiritual guy who's given it to her to protect her against evil. Um, That's come off, and it's on the floor with no blood on it at all. None. And then he picks it up and looks at it and then casually throws it into the freezer. He does, of of course. And that makes all the difference. He just tosses it into the freezer, goes upstairs, and that's when he has a brandy. Anyway, he's... he's Like Farage. Yeah, like Farage. And he, and he, <laughs> Farage in his garage. Yes. Anyway, so um, so he phones Bonnie, and says mm. it's done. And she says she's on her way. She's coming round. And uh, and he says we'll we'll be away before before by by sunrise tomorrow we'll be at the airport. And she has the bright idea of bringing the body with them. She says, well, let's let's bring the body with us and dispose of it on the way to the airport. I mean, <laughs> what the fuck? They're leaving forever. It's in a trunk freezer in the cellar of their house. Yeah. No, one, no one's going to know she's missing for days. Just yeah. leave it in the freezer and go. But no, she wants to dispose of it outside the house. Maybe she gets a kick out of it. You know, wrapping up... The body is like doll parts. You know, you couldn't disguise it. It is yeah. a body. 
Anyway. I was thinking maybe that that's the reason why he wrapped it in brown paper, so that they could post it along the way. Ah, maybe. Post it. Yes, indeed. Uh, to church groups and Samaritans. Yeah, yeah anyway, so suddenly... from Umbongo Bongo land. Oh, yes, Ken, Dr. Kananga. Or Kananga, or what's his name? Let me just go back to my notes. His name is Dr. Kalang- Kalanga. Yeah. Anyway, so suddenly Walter is stunned to see a paper-wrapped head roll across the kitchen floor. He doesn't scream, though, because he's holding his brandy snifter. So he, he, he shows his horror by raising a quizzical eyebrow uh, in, in a Roger, classic Roger Moore style. He oh, raises an eyebrow as this head that has, again, it's wrapped in paper, so it can't possibly drop. How is it doing it? But it's moving along the room, yeah. rolling There's itself a... along. There's a really loud sound effect of rustling paper as well when it yes, happens. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Anyway... <laughs> He throws the crystal decanter at it. The decanter <laughs> smashes on the kitchen floor, wasting good brandy and revealing yeah. that it wasn't even there. No. It was all an illusion. Or was it? Yeah. Oh. Because the creak oh. door, the door <gasps> to the cellar creaks open and down goes Walter into the cellar. He doesn't leave the house, sitting there no. drinking brandy and waiting for Bonnie to turn up and say, fuck your plan, we're off. No. Yeah. Down to the cellar he goes. Down he goes. He opens the trunk freezer. The freezer is open. He looks inside. And a paper-wrapped arm grabs him by the throat. Yes. Yeah. So now... Walter uh, and it, it, and it, it starts pulling him in as well. Even in. though it it's not attached in. to anything. No. <laughs> Sorry, it has no force. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely none, no. Yeah. No. But uh, it pulls him in by the power of the Dr. Kalanga's uh, bracelet. Yeah, yeah. So now Walter's dead. Enter Bonnie. The cellar door creaks again. She sees the smashed decanter. Clearly something is amiss. She goes downstairs, sees Walter in the freezer. No sign of the paper corpse. Because it's all over. Pursuing her around the cellar. There's a leg. A leg bending along and sort of worming like a sidewinder across yeah. the cellar floor. There's a torso. Though, perhaps when Walter severed Ruth, he must have attached some wheels to her belly. Because yeah. it's just kind of moving along. It, 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 you know, it's not rocky. For, it's just moving along forward. No. And a hand that has somehow got over the, up to the beams above and reaches down to Bonnie and grabs her. And yeah. Bonnie's struggling with this. It's got a... And what does she do? The axe that he used yes. to kill Ruth is to yeah. hand. She picks it up. Yeah. And as as you would, as anybody would, any yeah. right-minded person Finish would, her off, Bonnie. Yeah, she turns the blade to face her own head and yes. swings at the hand. Swings yes. at the hand. Yeah. Yes. At this point, we go back to uh, Dr. Martin. Jesus of Nazareth, Dr. Martin. In his airwear boots. In his airwear boots. And she says, I'm still pretty, aren't I? And she pulls mm. her hair back to reveal <gasps> big scratches on her face. I say big, they weren't big. No, they, they looked weren't, like, no. No, they looked like she'd, um, she'd been clawed by a cat. Yeah, yeah. It didn't look that bad at all, did no, it, really? really, really rubbish. So, that was story one. I mean, I suffered worst worst injuries when I had a dream about playing tennis with my pug and fell out of bed. 
Yes, you did, and you have to listen to the other uh, other pod to yeah, hear that yeah. brilliant that brilliant story. Yes, you absolutely did, and it was real. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> unlike this shit. So, so uh, we move on. Robert Powell comes out of there. Uh, comes out of Bonnie's room, and there's Max. Hello, sir. How did you do, sir? I'll take you over here, sir. This is the next room, sir. And in this room is a man called Bruno. So he also begins with B, so, you know. Anyway, Bruno yeah. is uh, in a story called The Weird Tailor. Now, this was, I felt, the weakest of the stories. Do you want to do this story? Can you remember it enough? Do you want to do it? Um, so, um, <laughs> he's, a, he's a tailor, and when they first introduce him in the room, I'll try my best to uh, to remember it all he's telling when they first introduced him in the room he sat i think cross-legged on the table and he's he's making um hand actions as if he's sewing something very small and very intricate but he's got nothing in his hands no and he says Um, it could be a suit or a shroud or a shroud yeah for that extra bit of sinisterness yeah um and then we go over to what I suppose it was actually happened in the past for yes, him indeed. to be there, um, and he's a tailor who's um, who was formerly successful, but now he's finding it difficult because people aren't coming in to have their suits tailored and they're not commissioning yes. suits and things like that. So him and his missus are a bit hard up on money. Yes, his unscrupulous, uh, his unscrupulous landlord, Mister Stebbings, gives them yes. six days, no tricks, uh, to pay the back rent. Um, so they're at the they're yeah. at the depths of despair, aren't they? The absolute doldrums. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then just as this evil slum landlord um, leaves, then uh, a guy comes in, a very distinguished, slender gentleman um, comes in, and he commissions a suit, yeah, um, which is ideal, and he offers to pay them the princely sum of two hundred pounds for this yeah. suit, which solves all their financial problems. Yeah. Um, and nothing, there's nothing, uh, you know, weird about this because it's Peter Cushing. Yeah, and the timing's not weird either. When the door, the doorbell's literally just <laughs> finished ringing, and then he walks in, um, and he says that he needs this suit. And he was like, oh, right, well, I'll measure you up then. And he said, oh, it's not for me, it's for my son. Um, What I've done is I've written down all of his measurements and I've brought the fabric that I want it to be made of and I want it in this particular style. And I want you to follow these instructions absolutely to the letter. Um, So you can't, you must work on it only between the hours of midnight and five o'clock in the morning. Not Not a a second later. Yeah, that's right. so and then he says, and I want it done by like Friday. Um, so this the fabric that they show you, <laughs> it's like um, it's really like eighties fabric, isn't it? It's really like space fabric. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of lots of different colours shimmer across it, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really like I suppose it's like high. It's like something that was really white high vis. Yeah, it's, it's all it's, that material. It's like a rainbow two tone. So, so six tone, yeah. I suppose. Um, yeah. And it doesn't look like you could make anything out of it other than, no. you know, maybe tablecloths, placards, or things that are flat. Yeah. Or like a vest for a road worker. Yes, you could definitely do that. Um, 
So he's like, oh, this seems a bit unusual, but do you know what? I need the money. So that's what he does for the rest of the week. Um, at one point, he decides that he's going to work a little bit later than five, and then the, the, the first pin stroke that he does after five, he jabs himself in the finger and bleeds. So he's just like, oh, God, roll well. That's a bad job, ah. and I better, I better knock this on the but head. He, but he bleeds into the and suit. And he bleeds onto it, yes. He but does. it disappears. But then the blood... It just yeah. it does disappear. It's been absorbed yeah. by the suit, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is glowing all the time, yeah. constantly glowing. Yeah. Anyway, gets his suit done, and then he takes it to um, finishes it all off, and he takes it to um, our distinguished gentleman's house, Mister Smith. Mister Smith. Yes. Knocks knocks on the door. None of the lights are on. Mister um, Smith undoes like a million and one locks on the door. Yeah. There must have been a lot of robberies around that area, wasn't there? Terrible, terrible. Uh, I loved, that, I, there was a detail here that I absolutely loved. There's electric lighting in the street. There's electric lighting outside. Yes. There's electric lighting in the window. So Peter Cushing, of course, answers the door with a fucking candelabra. Of course he does. He does, and he's got, he's got what probably is literally about eight locks on his door, but no, nothing on the windows. So, I mean, if you did want to break in, just go through the fucking windows. I mean, yeah, he was going to go through the front door anyway. Yeah. Um, anyway, he goes in there and he says, all right, here's the suit. And he was like, right, well, I'll, um, can I have the suit? And he says, well, I'll, the tailor says, well, I'll give you the suit, but I'm going to need the money before I hand it over. It's like a cash on delivery kind of deal, isn't it? He's yeah. not done it online or anything like that. <laughs> um, it's not, it's not, it's not, not PayPal. No. So he's, um, he says, all right, well, um, he he says, "Well, can you not just give me the suit anyway?" And he says, "Well, no, I'm absolutely skint." And you know, and he says, "Well, uh, Mister Smith says, well, I'm absolutely skint." And he he's like, well, "What in this big house?" And he says, "Well, yeah, I'm in the same situation as you. I've just got no money. But if you give me the suit, the thing that I'm going to do with the suit will make me enough money for me to give you the money straight away." And he's like, "What's all that about?" And he said, uh, "Well, I need it for my son." And he starts getting really distressed. And then he was saying, "What?" And the, for some reason, the tailor goes, "What's through this door?" And he was going, "Nothing's through that door." So he goes, he goes through the door, and there's Mister Smith's son, who's dead, yeah. in an open open casket, in a in the living room, surrounded by lit candles. And he's like, "Oh my god!" And he was going, "Yeah, I've got this. I spent all of my money on this book, this <laughs> mystical book that's got all this weird shit in it." And it tells me how to make this suit that'll resurrect him. And I have to resurrect him because obviously he's dead. Um, (laughs) So he's like, well, it's all wrong, this. I'm not going to give you the suit anymore. And he's like, you must give me the suit. And then they have a big fight. Yeah, Cushing Um, pulls a gun on, doesn't he? He pulls a gun on... uh... He does. He says, like, yeah, I don't want to do this, but um, if you don't give me the suit, I'm going to have to kill you kind of thing. And then they have this big fight, and then the tailor accidentally shoots in the tussle. He accidentally shoots Mr. Smith, so Mr. Smith's dead then. So then he just runs out of the... Out of Mr. Smith's house and runs home, doesn't he? And then he says with, to his with missus, the book and the suit. With the sorry, yes, he's got the book and the suit. He leaves the dead guy there, obviously. Um, <laughs> it just runs off, and he goes back to his missus. And did you remember that scene when he goes back to his missus? He gets back to the house, and he opens the door, and she's like, I think she's in bed. Yes, she is. And he opens the door, <laughs> and the door, their their front door is the front door to the shop because yeah. he opens it, and the doorbell, the little shop bell, yeah, goes. Ding, 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 ding. 
and he's just a dark, shadowy figure, isn't he, at the door? And yeah. she just like goes, "Oh, you're back so soon," kind of thing. Like it's the most normal thing in the world. That was the most frightening fucking bit in all of that story. <laughs> was when he came through the door. I was shitting myself when he came through. Then, so he comes through the door, and um, he goes, "Oh, it's not, it's you know, it's not going well. I haven't got the, I haven't got the money." And she's like, "But I've already told Mister Stebbins that you'll have the money." I don't know why that conversation happened. No, They'd already neither. arranged for that money to be done then. And he was yeah. like, why did you say that? I haven't got the money. Um, and she's like, what happened? And he was like, oh, nothing. And then... Um, now you've forgotten goes, something. He puts the suit onto the, onto the shop no, dummy. She, oh, no, she does. Ah, she does, yeah. She does Otto. because she... has got a name, hasn't it? They call it, she calls oh, yeah. it Otto. Yeah, because while he's been working all these nights, she's got really lonely. And so she started talking to this fucking mannequin. They've only got one mannequin in the shop. So she's been talking to this mannequin and for some reason she's developed a friendship with the mannequin. I mean, how 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 bad an husband must he be that she's befriended the mannequin in the well, shop? Well, to be honest, the mannequin does look a bit like Peter Wingard. Uh, yeah, who, At that time was yeah. playing uh, Jason King. And considering, I can remember Peter Wingard as an actor, it might well have been him. He was very wooden. He's like... Um, He's like a mixture of Peter Wingard and um, Oddbod from Carry On Screaming. Yes, um, I can see that. So she, he goes, um, he goes looking for the suit, and and uh, she goes, oh, he, he looks in the book, and he's like, he sees all these diagrams and stuff about this suit, this really old book, but yeah, it's got a suit in it that's contemporary to them. Um, so then he goes, oh, where's the where's the suit? He looks in the box and the suit's not there. And she goes, oh, I, I put it on Otto. He's become my lover while you've not been around. <laughs> and um, she's like, and the, then they have a big argument, don't they? And they're tussling. Yeah. And then, oh, dun, dun, dun. Shot, yeah, more loud music because Otto... Wearing the suit with the blood in it, he he becomes animate. He comes to life, even yes, though he's he just a mannequin, and there's no fleshy tissue or muscular structure to him at all. He starts walking over <laughs> to him, and then he it kind of the scene cuts with him going on to the two of them, doesn't it, Otto? Yeah, I think then the next just, time it just goes back to the tailor in the room, doesn't it? Because yeah. it never says what happened to the two of them. No, and it says, well, it, I wrote down here, his story ends with him being locked into the room and babbling on about the dummy that's apparently roaming around London. But it, it was like, well, if Otto's going towards him and obviously she's befriended Otto and made him come to life, then surely he would, Otto would kill or injure the tailor so that the wife would be all right. But it felt like Otto killed the woman because he was in prison. yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I don't. Oh, maybe he went. He went to the asylum because he was sent mad by the fact that his wife ran off with a living shop dummy. Yeah, there is that. Yeah, I can't remember. I, it was a week. It was a weak story. It was terrible. Out comes Jesus of Nazareth in his airwear, and he's met by Max. Come this way, sir. Come this way, sir. And he goes to Charlotte Rampling's room, Barbara. So there's Bruno, Barbara, and Bonnie. So it's the yeah. B wing, basically. Um, anyway, her story uh, is Lucy comes to stay. So we start with a big Jaguar driving to the house, uh, driving to a big house. Uh, Charlotte Rampling uh, thinks Lucy is in the house, and her brother, who's driving the car, has hired a nurse. Um, 
who looked to me like Nursey from Blackadder, but I looked up the uh, Yes, cast, I thought that as well, and it, yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't her. Um, anyway. Charlotte she even Rampley, talked like her. She did, yes, she did. I've I, I put her name down as Nurse Gaslight, because you don't want to be making these up now, do you? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, she was sent to bed. She necks a load of pills, and suddenly, um, reflected in the mirror behind her, it's only Britt Eklund. Um, and this is Lucy. And she's convincing Barbara that her nurse is a guard and that George, her brother, is conspiring against them both. Now, George has been slipped to Mickey by Lucy. Um, and um, Rampling is caught by Lucy taking her pills. Lucy tells her not to take her pills. And it's a terrible scene. Terrible. I don't just mean it's like a, there's a, she causes a terrible scene. It's a terrible scene. It it's is. It's really a poorly scene. written. And there's no dramatic tension between either. No. Anyway, um, I kind of skipped this one because I, 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 it was it was really quite dull. George is stabbed by the scissors. Nurse is stabbed by Lucy, but she wasn't real. Uh, it was all uh, it was all uh, Charlotte Rampling's doing. And when it goes back into the asylum, uh, she said, "Ask Lucy. She's here. She's right here. Can't you see her?" And she's looking at herself in the mirror uh, and laughing. And and that was it really. There was a big Tyler Durden vibe going on. Uh, yeah, that for me. See, that the weird tailor, uh, the stupid mannequin and all that kind of thing, and Peter Cushing, I had more sympathy with than this one. Because this one actually made me sleepy. Oh, do you like, know what? And actually, I, I liked this one the best out of all of them. Did you, really? Yeah, because I thought, well, there's two reasons why. Um, one was Charlotte Rampling. I thought... Uh, oh good god Charlotte Rampling is just fucking amazing I was like in love with Charlotte Rampling I didn't even know I mean I, I didn't even know what she like I better remember what she looked like oh my god she's amazing anyway yeah so there was there was that I was completely in love with Charlotte Rampling um, uh, but the other thing was that I think it was the only one out of them where it seemed to have some kind of basis in a genuine mental illness where she was quite clearly um, schizophrenic uh, to an extreme yes. level. Yeah. And not not how you portray it clinically now, but um, there was a, there was a whole thing of it. Um, I could get I could kind of get my head around that. I couldn't get my head around a tailor making a a suit out of space material <laughs> that was then put on a mannequin that came alive and then we didn't know what happened after it. And the body oh. parts in the brown paper. I was like, what the fuck? And then, but then when that came on, I thought, yeah, no, I can, I can get that awful okay. mental illness. Okay. I think, I think maybe it was just, I can see your, your logic is absolutely sound, but I could see it going a mile off. I mean, you know, the brown paper was yeah. the same, and it was going to happen there. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I mean, um, Britt Eklund was awful in it. Oh yeah, well, again, Britt Eklund was never, uh, never the the, the world's uh, greatest actress. Um, in, no, in, in fairness. Um, anyway, so so that was the end of that story, and we came out, and Max, hello sir, final room sir, takes him to Byron's room. So there we are, <laughs> Bonnie, Bruno. Uh, whatever her name was, I can't remember, Barbara, Barbara. And, and Byron. Um, and this is, it's Herbert Lom. I love Herbert yeah. Lom. Yeah. Um, I'm, I will need your help with this one, man. 
because I, I don't think I can handle the full insanity of this particular story. <laughs> so it's called Mannequins of Horror. Uh, mannequins is spelt M-A-N-N-I-K-I-N-S, which is no spelling of yeah. mannequins I've ever seen. Anyway, uh, the, the, he didn't have a story. He didn't have a... No, he, he didn't. You know, in a no. break from the convention, we just mm. stayed in his room. And there he was in his room, um, and he'd been given the materials to make and fashion these these tiny little figures um, who, they, they were all, uh, you know, sort of stumpy. Um, and, you know, again, you'd be a fool uh, to think that all they'd done is buy some of those battery-powered robots that you used to see yeah. in 1970 and cover it in clay and then put a rubber action man head on the top of them. You'd be a fool to think they'd done that. No, the the actual physique of the the bodies of these little people that he was creating, they they were, I think even before the they were from even before the seventies because they looked like the kind of um, Japanese tin wind up robots. That's the ones. Those, yeah, those ones. Yeah, all their limbs are all squared off, yes, and they kind of their feet just shuffle on little wheels underneath yes. in a walking motion. Yeah, they're all like that, but they're all just painted silver. Yeah. With a, but with realistic clay heads on them. Yes, that's one. right. And he's made them of all his colleagues. He's made he's made the figures uh, that look like all of his colleagues, but but he reckons that they've got brains in them, and he's got another doll with his likeness. Well, I mean, I say his likeness. He looked more like the ex prime minister Harold Wilson. <laughs> he did, so yeah. so he'd got a Harold Wilson doll, and um, and he'd. He'd fashioned it and... and it was, but he, you know. at one point, he says to Dr. Martin, Dr. fucking Martin... I know, don't. <laughs> Do you think his first name was Bob? He's make, he makes so. um, veterinary products as well. Yeah, flea powder. Yeah. <laughs> he says to him um, about these mannequins, because he keeps them in that big wooden wardrobe. Yeah. He says... Um, you know they're all anatomically correct on the inside... Um, they've all got like they've all, all their organs and everything, and they're, yeah, they're all right. on the in, on the inside. <laughs> I'm thinking, what in a tin fucking robot? <laughs> but he just, but Doctor Martin just goes, oh yes, yes, of course, of course they yeah, are. That's right, yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> well, you know, the thing that fasc- fascinated me was, you know, the, so that here they are in the asylum, you know, the access to which is. Covered with pictures of people going, <laughs> you know, and yeah. um, so so, uh, and they keep give, put him in there and give him building materials uh, and and stuff yeah. with which to sculpt these creatures, which would presumably mean blades and knives. But, yeah, he's got uh, a know. fully operational workshop, hasn't he? There? Yes, he does. He does. And that's kind of his story, but it isn't his story. No, because when uh, Robert Powell, Doctor Martin, leaves his room, yeah, uh, he lays back. And a red light kind of shines on his head. Uh, now, I think that's just a special effect. I don't think that had any, you know, significance specific to the set. I just think that they went, oh, we'll light this in red. Yeah. So a light shines on his head and suddenly, wouldn't no, you know it? No, oh, no, sorry, before I you do that, there's another bit. There's something. another bit before oh, go on, that. Go on, go on. Yeah, because um, it's an odd episode because it finishes quite soon. It's quite short, that episode. Yes, it is. And... 
Dr. Martin said, like, right, I need to, I'm going to leave now. And he, he leaves the room. And you're thinking, well, that was a bit weird because that was really short and nothing seemed to happen in that. Yeah. And he said, and the guy says, um, oh, have you made your decision? The creepy guy says, I've made your decision. And he said, um, uh, he said, oh, just um, tell whoever, wheelchair guy, I'm going to come down and see him and give him my verdict. Yes, indeed. And he says, oh, are you going to tell me what it is? And he's like, just just tell him that I'm on my way down. So then he goes downstairs and says to the guy in the wheelchair, you're mad. You're all, you're all mad here. As if this is fucking, you mean kind of fucking weird job interview is this shit. And all those people upstairs, you're a cruel barbarian. And those people need meant proper medical care. Not the insane conditions that you're keeping them in. And the guy goes, um, the wheelchair guy goes, oh, um, like almost like, does that mean that you're not taking the job then? (laughs) (laughs) And then I think then they cut back to Herbert Lom lying back in his bed with, he's holding on to the, the tiny mannequin of himself, isn't he? Because the red light comes on. He, he, he says that he can bring them to life by just, physically concentrating and sending right. his soul into them, doesn't he? Yes. And that's what he's trying to do in his bed. He's just staring at this staring at this toy thing that he's made. Can you I'll let yeah. you say, Herbert Long, that poor fucker, he's lying there as an acting job and he's they're saying, stare at this as if you're projecting your soul into it. He must have been <laughs> thinking, Well, you're gonna have to fucking pay me extra for this shit. Yeah. Stare at this as if you're paying your mortgage off. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll do it. That's fine. I'll do it. That's fine. Fine. <laughs> if you want to get your ex-wife off your back, stare yeah. into it a bit harder. That's right. And, and wouldn't you know it, the little thing comes to life. It does, yeah. And it walks. Not only does it walk, it can climb. <laughs> yeah. It can yeah. open doors. Yeah. It can hide. Yeah. I mean, it can basically do everything a little person could do, yeah. except without proper hands and moving yeah. like one of those wind-up robots. Yeah. Um, and it gets downstairs, unseen by Robert Powell and the man yeah. in the wheelchair. Quite quickly. Quite quickly. Quite, yeah. Finds a scalpel. Yeah. Walks to the uh, edge of the table. Uh, and and um, climbs possibly onto the back of the wheelchair man's wheelchair yeah. and stabs him in the back of the neck. Yeah. Strangely, yeah. with enough force to kill him instantly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, a, he's, um, he's a medical man and he knows all about the physical anatomy of, of people, so he knew exactly where to strike. Yes, he did. He did. He? Yes, like a, like a tiny wind-up cobra. Anyway, yeah. so he's he's uh, he's dead, and Robert Powell yeah. is all oh blimey! I don't know what to do about that. I better stamp on this robot. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I could quite easily just pick him up, but no, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> chuck him out a window, put a bucket yeah. on it. No, but just, no, just put him in a box because maybe the police might want to see it. Yeah, yeah, upturned bin. Anything like that, but no, I'm mm. going to stamp on it. So he stamps on it, and there's a there's a bit of blood, and it, it, it's implied there's a bit of brain in there. Yeah. Now, uh, I think the the, the that... robot put the robot puts his arm up 
as he's doing it to protect himself. That's right. Yes, it does. Of course, it does. Uh, yeah. But it's no good because do- obviously Doctor Martin's got some proper quality boots he's got on. So decent quality boots. He on, could yeah. smash him in easily, and, and yet so comfortable. Um, mm. Then I think Robert Powell is distracted by a car coming. Oh, he looks out the window. Anyway, suddenly there's the crow man, uh, Jeffrey yeah. Bailden, Max, who we all knew yeah. was going to be the fucking guy all along. But yeah. he said, it was me all along. Ha, 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 ha. And he kills him. Does he strangle him? Does he strangle him? He goes into, um, Dr. Martin goes into um, the Max's um, office. He goes, what's in the office? And he goes into the office. And um, Max oh, goes, the... and he, see, he sees somebody lying on a, on a table covered in um, medical fabric um, yes. and he goes oh who's that and he goes don't touch that does Max but Dr Martin because of the speed of his boots he's already there so <laughs> he pulls back the cloth and there's um, there's a dead person there with marks around his neck and he goes who's that and he, Max goes oh it was the last applicant for the job you see I'm Dr B star um and then he uh, he takes off his stethoscope and then he strangles Robert Powell to death. That's mm. right. And he was got strangled with the stethoscope. But then he he does that and then laughs for a full mm. forty seconds. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's way way too long. It's like the director said, "Okay, Jeffrey, you've done this. Now just laugh. Give me a maniacal laugh. Yeah. Just keep it going. We'll cut it down to about four yeah, seconds. Yeah, Don't yeah. worry. But just yeah. just just laugh. And they've looked yeah. at it and they've gone." That's fucking creepy. Let's yeah. keep it all. He's really pushing yeah. it. He's really pushing it. <laughs> he does as well. <laughs> we better have that. Yeah. So so then it cuts to the following morning. Yeah. And the car pulls up. Yeah. And uh, out of the car steps, well, we'd have to assume, another applicant. Obviously, a very, Ron Powell's a, car's been moved. A very 70s job applicant because he's got one of those like light brown featureless Macs on <laughs> and he's holding a leather doctor's briefcase isn't he yes he is and he comes to the door and uh, and Max opens the door and lets him in and uh, he's, I can't, there's, there's a final line and I, can't, I did I write it down he does, he does something to the camera doesn't he he like breaks the fourth wall at the end I think yeah what have I written here kills Paul then laughs yeah, then I've just written the following day it all starts again. Bobbins. That was the yeah. end of my report. I think he does like a, a like a sinister smile at the camera. Oh, he does do a sinister smile at the camera. Closes the door. Yeah, but he says, he goes, he says oh, something I'll, like, I'll show you up or something. Yeah, he says, uh, I better shut the door. Uh, we don't want the wet. It might turn. That's might it. Turn. Something yes. like that. It's really, yeah, you know. Yeah. And then. Then the credits roll, and that's the end. And it's all going to start all over again. So, so yeah, but without Robert Powell because he's already dead. I mean, what did I think of it? I thought it was. They must have had the tongue firmly in the cheek. It it made me smile in a way that the last house on the left absolutely did not. It it was it was terrible. In a very different way, it was ter- it was terrible, um, really not scary, ludicrous, unintentionally hilarious in parts, and yeah. yet with a certain naive charm. There was something about it that I did quite enjoy, in the same way as I yeah. enjoyed Octoman, because Octoman was stupid and rubbish and really cheap, 
Um, and this one yeah. was, you know, silly and flippant and, and, and not particularly respectful of mental illness at all. Um, no. And yet, you know, Herbert Lom, Herbert Lom making yeah. little effigies. Very funny. I felt like, um, I mean, the order that I saw these in probably made a big difference, maybe. Um, but I saw Last House on the Left first, and then I watched Asylum. Um, and Asylum f- had that whole tone of being, once you got into it, it was a little bit like, kind of, these are spooky stories. It wasn't like, these are stories that are going to shit you up or yeah, yeah, yeah. leave you like frantic about them when you leave the cinema. These are just some like friendly, spooky late night stories. There was no yes. real scares to them. Like say, loads of it was preposterous. Like the old body parts <laughs> thing in brown paper was just fucking ridiculous. Oh, was, I mean, those body stupid. parts, they, they'd anim- they'd obviously had some kind of animator on board because they kind of animated these legs moving, but they moved really slowly. And then like in the Herbert Lom episode, the robot looked like it being animated in like some kind of stop motion thing. Um, but there wasn't any kind of, although they, like you say, they did handle the mental illness really badly. Really badly. It, it, it wasn't with like a bad intention. It was just no. misguided. It was just misguided. Yes. And, and the, the technical aspects of the film were fine. It was well made. It was well lit. Uh, the editing, some some of it was a bit weird. The Taylor bit was a bit weird. The Herbert Lom bit was a bit weird. But at least it made sense. And the acting was quite good in it. Um, so I was like, oh my God, this is like a breath of fresh air after that last <laughs> fucking awful film that I watched. Yeah. Well, I saw him in the other direction. I, I saw Asylum first. I made my notes. And I, I wrote Bobbins, ridiculous, or mm. terrible, stupid, blah, blah, blah. And I stand by all of those comments. But then yeah. I watched Last House on the Left and went, oh, dear Lord. Oh. Yeah. Honestly, I never even want to see a clip of it again. Not just... I, I never want no. to see a clip. I was like, I was like that. I, I never want to have anything to do with Last House on the Left again no. or anything like it because it was just awful. Um, so, so far, 1970, A Man Called Horse, which you said was boring... Uh, I had my yeah. name is Trinity, stupid. Yeah. Then you had Octoman. Yeah. What would be what would be your one word for Octoman? Uh, tawdry. Tawdry. <laughs> I had uh, four flies on grey velvet, cack. Um, and then you got last house on the left. You got a word for that one? Um. Well, you picked it vile, and I think it was vile. vile. Fair enough. And um, and then we had um, uh, Asylum, Asylum. Uh, nonsensical. So, what yeah. will nineteen seventy three bring us, Rich? Fucking hell! Well, we've not been on a good run, have we, with these? Um, I'm so enjoying I'm op- it. I'm loving it, me. I'm hoping that I've picked out a winner for you. Um, I've gone for the Doll Squad. The Doll Squad. It's an action film. Ooh, okay. With some kick-ass ladies in it. Um, I'll find the quote. Um, um, a Rolling Stone contributor called Doug Pratt, with two T's, yeah. um, he called it an enjoyable action romp. And he also added, the girls kick some serious butt, but they look terrific in their hot 
black jumpsuits. <laughs> so I'm thinking that this is going to be this is going to be fucking brilliant. This. Yeah, that sounds. And excellent. it's on Amazon Prime. Oh, Amazon um, Prime. So a good quality see. picture. It's directed by Ted V. Michels, which is a sign of quality. Yes, it is absolutely. So yeah, uh, that's 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 yours. Okay. The Dull well, Squad. That sounds great. So I, uh, for you, have gone for the 1973 Klaus Kinski classic, Death Smiles on a Murderer. Yeah. Uh, the, the sum up on IMDb says, a man discovers an ancient Incan formula for raising the dead and uses it for a series of revenge murders. So it was directed by Joe D'Amato uh, and he wrote the, co-wrote the screenplay. And it stars yeah. Klaus Kinski, a woman called Iwa Aulin, Angela Bo, B-O, Bo, uh, and then a lot of Italian-sounding people. Good. Uh, so uh, so that's what you've got, Death Smiles on a Murderer. Well, uh, but I again, do, it's I'm, only an I hour am, and eight, 28, so we're all right. I am, I am partial to a bit of Klaus Kinski madness. Oh, good, good. Um, so yes, that's all. That's all very exciting, um, and uh, we'll see you next time, I suppose. I suppose we will. That's... Hopefully, we'll have a couple of cracking films for you. Oh, almost certainly. If you want to join <laughs> in watching them, uh, yes. You know uh, the 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 films we choose are well. I mean, provided you have Amazon, uh, it's a free film on Prime. Um, yeah. And the Death Smiles and a Murderer is a YouTube film. Uh, so we'd love to hear what you think of them. Yeah, I know watch that, along. Uh, our regular listener Lou has said that when we get to the eighties, because she was born in nineteen eighty, uh, uh, yeah. so her, when we get to the eighties, she might join in with us watching the film. So yeah, um, and it would it would be great if uh, anybody anyone to, would tell us what they thought of them. Uh, so that would be. Marvelous. And if you've got any suggestions for future years' films. You should just email us. You can email us at weakpointspodcast at gmail.com or you can send us a message on our Instagram, which is weakpointspodcast. And I'm sure I'll have some pictures of the fucking awful nonsense that we've watched this week on there <laughs> as soon as this comes out. <laughs> so thank you very much again for listening. And Thanks we'll see lot. you next week for another film club. Cheers. See you soon. Oh.